Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. Good to see your face. I feel like I've been here in a while because we had the canceled service and then I wasn't able to preach and now we're here. I'm like, okay, we're back. Things are back to normal. So good to see you all. Uh, My name is Simon. I am one of the pastors here at Grace Hills. Uh, I would just say off that video for Stephen's ministry, that is... Uh, an area that I have become more and more passionate about as I've grown older and done more ministry. My wife and I actually went and did biblical counseling during COVID when it hit to go, hey, let's get certified as biblical counselors. And I remember I finished it. I was like, this was a great program. Why did I wait so long to learn how to share God's truth with people who are going through difficult circumstances? I wish I would have been able to do that. So if you've ever thought, how can I care better for people? How can I encourage people with God's word? This is a great opportunity to do that. It's a life skill that you will take for for the rest of your life that you will take on to be able to care and love others as you press into the things that God puts before you. Um, Now, we have been three months deep in the book of Acts. Now, hopefully you've been encouraged by it. I've been encouraged by it as I've been going through it, um, just seeing how God gives the Holy Spirit uh, to his people, to be the people that he's called them to be, that he ignites the church, that he is using the church as the vessel to take the gospel forward to, uh, well, what we've seen is Jerusalem this far. And so what's going to happen is we're going to see the other two segments that's laid out that they're going to show that in. But what we've seen is that there's a way that God's people live with each other. There's a way that they love each other. There's a way they interact with each other. And maybe you've noticed... Um, Luke has kind of zoomed in and out as he's done this, and it's actually really intriguing. So what you see is he zooms in at times to the church and how they function within each other, how they love each other, how they live with each other, how they're generous with each other, how they deal with problems that come. But then he zooms out at times... And he shows them how the church then interacts with the world. And there's a tension that's always going on that we need to be engaged with each other and engage with the world. That's what we do when we grow each other, but we engage the culture with the gospel. And so you'll keep seeing this is going to kind of keep happening. It's going to zoom in. It's going to zoom out. And Luke just keeps doing this all through the book. And hopefully you see that this is something that all churches should be existing in this same tension. Now, we've seen how persecution came. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, we talked about the persecution of the church and that the gospel is unstoppable, that Jesus is going to grow his church no matter what. No matter what the world does, he's moving forward, and not even the powers of the enemy will be able to stop what God is doing. Now, in a day and an age where it can feel like God's losing, Like, there's so much evil, there's so much brokenness, there's so much pain, there's so many things that seem to be going wrong, that people are separated, that they're divided, that they're fighting all the time. It can feel like, man, is God losing? Is the world winning? We see churches shutting down. We see men and women not holding to biblical theology of what God's word would say. And you go, man, it just feels like it's not working the way it's supposed to. And it can feel as though it's very discouraging this time. And what I want to do today, my goal today, by the time that I walk down, that you would walk away encouraged, knowing that the gospel isn't stopping, that that God is winning, that he's not losing, that the world doesn't have the ability to overcome, that there is a plan, and that God is moving forward, and he is still changing people's lives. He is still saving people. 
and that the enemy is not winning. That's my goal today. It seems like a a lot, but we're going to get there. Now, we're wrapping up chapter five today, okay? We're going to wrap up all of chapter five, and this is going to be our natural break. And what's going to happen is we're going to stop after this sermon, and then we're going to jump back in the fall as the gospel starts to move out of Jerusalem into the surrounding areas. And that's where we're going to kind of start focusing. And so you're like, well, what's next week? Next week, we're going to start our um, brand new study in 1 John. So we're going to do that all the way up to Easter. So that's what we're going to be doing. If you're wondering where we go, if you like to know where we're going, that's where we're going. If you're excited about that, hooray. If you're not excited about that, hopefully you will be by the time we finish. Fair enough? I can take a breath now. I was like, you got to breathe, man. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 5. Now, I will say this. It's a long section that we're in. And so we're going to try not to jump around a lot. We're just going to kind of read the section and let the section speak for itself and just talk about it and then kind of see how that impacts where we are and what we're doing. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 5, 17. If you have one, follow along. If you have a device, use that. uh, Or you can just follow up on the screen. It says, but the high priest rose up and all were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees and filled with jealousy... They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard it, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate and uh, all the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officer went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they, had heard, when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For for before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in, those, in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. 
So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning to be here with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It is always a joy to be able to proclaim your word and to uh, have it speak to me as well. Holy Spirit, I ask that as I, I preach this morning that we would see the truth of your power, the truth of the gospel, the truth that there is no stopping you, God, and that what you are doing is good and right and holy and perfect. Holy Spirit, I ask if there's anything that's in my notes that's not for me that you would just kind of just take those away, that you would not allow me to be a hindrance to the truth of, of your word. Uh, my prayer is that we would be encouraged that we would see who you are in light of the world and, and its attempts and what it's trying to do, and that we would know that we are on the winning side of history for those that love and worship Jesus. Pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. <clears throat> now, as you can see, that was a lot of reading, and now my throat is a little scratchy. <laughs> and there is no way that I am going to plumb the depths of the richness and the fullness of all of this. I, I could probably have five sermons just from that. But what I want to do is I want to just focus on the big idea. I want to focus in in the landing place and what that means for us. Now, I'm not going to lie. I laugh a lot. I like to joke. I like to have fun. And as I read, read this passage, I could not stop laughing as I just went through it. It's just comical in what is going on. As you see men in their futility trying to stop God, they can't. It's like trying to stand in front of a tidal wave and block it. Well, I'm going to stop you. It's just not going to happen. It's going to move forward. But that's exactly what's going on in this passage and what we see happening. See, we've seen how Peter and John were arrested back in chapter 4, right? And they were told, stop speaking the name of Jesus. And they basically said in, in the Simon translation of the Bible, no, we're going to do what God says. That's kind of what they said to them. So they kept going out, they kept teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ, that that Jesus is the Savior of the world come to die for the sins of men and women. The Jewish people had a name for him, it was Messiah, that he was the one that would make all things right, that he would kind of correct all the problems of the world, all the sins of the world. But we see that as they're preaching this message of Jesus being the Christ, being the Messiah, it made the religious leaders of that day mad. As a matter of fact, it's a step further than that. It made them jealous. Well, the question that you need to ask is, what were they jealous of? What did they want? What did they lack? Now, I want to kind of zoom out a little bit so we understand kind of the big idea that this is not a a new thing. This is not anything that we haven't dealt with before, that we haven't seen in the Bible. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 says this. 
How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So if you know your scriptures, you probably know who we're talking about. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Satan. We're talking about Satan. Uh, before that, he had a different name. It was Lucifer, Lucifer correct. So Lucifer was his name. He was the uh, bright morning star as he was known, and he was jealous of God. Satan also had this jealousy that was in him. He was jealous of God. He wanted to be higher than God. He wanted to be important. He wanted to be praised like God. He wanted to be in charge like God. He wanted to have, uh, not people, but angels of that time think highly of him instead of God. And he wanted to use God, the one who made him, so he could receive all the glory for himself. He wanted to be important. Well, this is exactly what's happening with the leaders of this day and this age, right? They had all the power. They were important people. People looked at them to guide them, like, how, how should I live? And so what we see is that in that day and that age, they believed that the law was going to be the thing that was going to save them. If I follow all the rules, if I do all the things, then God will be happy with me. Then God will love me. Then God will like me. And these guys were like the professional do-gooders. They were the best at doing all the rules and doing all the things. And so because they had rise to this certain level, everyone looked to them like, well, how do we do it? And they would say, well, you have to be like me. You have to do these things. And so there was a level of honor and respect and glory that they were starting to receive. And they liked it. Well, the problem is the message of Jesus Christ obliterates that entire idea, doesn't it? It says, no, it's not based on your works. It's based on the works of Jesus. And if you've placed your life in his, then you will be saved. That is what pleases God, is Jesus pleases God. He is satisfied in him and his works, not our works. See, we always mess things up because of sin, because we are, we are just failed human beings because of sin. It has ruined everything. And so as they're preaching this message, it starts to chop away at the leg of everything that they believe in, everything that they've placed their hope in. That is what's problematic. And so they're saying, we want that glory. We want people to follow us. We want to tell people what's right and wrong. We want to be important. See, at the heart of every person, we want to feel like we have worth and value. Is that Am I stretching too much there? I think we all want to feel like we have worth and value in life. And so the problem that we put in our lives as human beings is we start to look for it in all the wrong places. We try to find our value and worth in the wrong things. It could be work or power or looks or kids or intelligence or holiness or knowing your Bible really well. But in the end... What you're trying to do is show other people that you are at this level so they will then praise you. And you're looking for your worth and value in other people's opinions, 
to give you that worth and that value. It's not bad that we want to have worth and value. It's where do you get it from? And we should be looking towards God for our worth and our value. That's where we need to be looking to understand that our acceptance comes from God through his son, Jesus, not through our works, not through our ability. See, you say, well, well, then why at church do you say, well, you have to do these things and live this way? It's the natural response to those that have been saved by grace of Jesus Christ. That it's the natural outpouring that we would want to be like Jesus because he is our hero. He is our savior. That's why we do those things. See, the, the gospel does tell us that we have that worth and that value because we're made in the image of God. See, God's not pleased with us because of what we do or what we know or, or how we look, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And his sacrifice then makes us right with God. See, this message threatened everything the leaders of that day had worked for. And suddenly, the tower that they had built on their good works was crumbling before their eyes. And so what they do is they hold on tighter, and it'd be like being on a sinking ship saying, but ships float, and it's sinking, and you just hold on tighter. That boat is going to sink and drag you down with it. That there is something greater that we should be holding to, something greater that we need to be connected to. Well, what we see is that they're going to hold on tighter and they're going to fight harder for what they believe is true. So you may think, oh, they arrested Peter and John again. They're getting used to it. They have like a, you know, reoccurring past. Like you get so many visits in jail, the fourth one's free. That's not what's going on. It's more than that because it says that the apostles were arrested. Now think about that. Before it was just Peter and John. Now it's like, we don't know if it's all of them, but chances are it's probably all of them. They're thinking, all right, we tried it the easy way, guys. We brought two of you in. We threatened you. You didn't listen. So now we're just going to arrest the whole lot of you, and we're going to shut you up. We're going to put you in jail, and we're going to teach you a lesson once and for all because this is getting out of hand. You're threatening what we value. You're threatening what we think is right. And so we're going to shut you up this time. We're going to stop God from communicating what you think is right. It's heresy. We, we hate it. It's, it's over with. So during the night, they lock him up. Angel of the Lord appears, unlocks the door, ushers them out. I like how polite angels are. Relocks the door. <laughs> You know, don't leave the door. Were you born in a barn? They lock the door. He brings them out and says, hey guys, keep doing what you're doing. Keep talking about Jesus. And they're like, okay. And then they do that. Now, this is where it starts to get really funny. As I read this, I just kept laughing because it's just, it's just goofy. So now you have to think about the scenario. Put yourself in the story. Put yourself in how this is all playing out. And so you've got all these religious leaders and they're going to gather this big meeting. There's going to be uh, upwards of over 70 people in this meeting. And, you know, if you ever tried to plan a meeting or an event that had over 70 people, it's a lot of work, isn't it? To call the people, to communicate with all the people, to make sure they know when to be there, what the agenda's going to be. And they didn't have phones, emails, and texts, so it's all word of mouth. There's a lot of running around. So all night, they're probably sending messages. Hey, we've got to be ready in the morning. We've got to have this big conversation. We've got we to keep these people on trial because all these problems that are happening. So they gather everybody up and their pomp and their circumstances and their robes and all their special little things and they come in and they do the greetings and they all sit down. Bring us the prisoners. 
hook and they, they go down there. They're like, oh no. And they come back up. <laughs> They're not there. <laughs> and so this whole thing about authority, this whole thing about being in charge, like what kind of monkey show you guys running here? Like you can't even keep prisoners in here. Like you're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to be the authority. What's going on? Well, then all of a sudden, this dude comes like, hey, 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 those guys you're looking for, I found them. They're like, well, I must be in a different cell. We just must have, them. no, they're back in the, remember the guys you sold not to preach and teach in the temple? Yeah, they're in the temple, preaching and teaching. I don't think they're listening to you. <laughs> and so now, they're all there in all their pomp and circumstance, they're like, uh, could you get the chief of the guards to go get these guys? And now they got to wait. And they're just twiddling their thumbs. Oh, uh, thanks for coming. Glad you're here. Nothing's going on. They're completely embarrassed. They're, they're, they're a laughing stock at this point. Now, then they go to get the apostles who are now all in there preaching and teaching in the morning because what's happening is the morning sacrifice was coming. And so they're coming there talking about the real sacrifice, which was Jesus, that they don't need those sacrifices anymore. And so this is where it gets interesting because... As they go to get them, they're not going in with force anymore. They're not like, oh, grab them and beat them up and rough them up and throw them in. That's not what's going on. Now they realize that, and we'll see later in the story, that the word of God is spreading. That people are understanding who Jesus is. And because of that, they are now afraid of the people. Because the people are like, you're going to arrest and take the hope that we have in Christ? You're going to silence the people that have brought us the truth of what God has said? They know that what's going to happen is those guys are going to get stoned and they're going to kill them. And the funny part is, is they're trying to bring all the apostles in so they can most likely stone and kill them. Jesus is always turning it upside down. He's always flipping it around on everybody. And so what ends up happening is they finally get them in the room. They finally get them before everybody. And at that point, I'm sure the tensions are, well, not for the apostles, but for everyone else is super high, super aggravated, super frustrated. And he's like, hey, we told you not to do this. And they're like, and we told you we were going to do this. <laughs> Why are you surprised? Honestly, you shouldn't have gone to the jail. You should have gone to the temple because you knew we were going to be there in the first place. Like, why is this a problem? And so what's going to happen is Peter is going to once again seize the opportunity to confront with the truth of the gospel of what's going on. Now, there's a statement that they make in there. They said, we told you not to do this, and now you're trying to put this man's blood on us. Now, that's a really important thing to understand because these people were in a very unique situation back in Matthew. In Matthew 27, 24 through 25, we had this. And by the way, the people that are in that room would have been the people that were at this event. This is not talking about a couple of generations past. It's not a new group. This is them. And it says this while they're getting ready to crucify Jesus before it. It says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Talking about Jesus. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, what did they say? 
His blood be on us and our children. He's like, no, no, no. You're not going to say that it's not on us. You clearly said that this was going to be on you and your children because you believed that you were in the right and you believed that by doing that, you'd be counted as righteous. And now you're being convicted as being guilty. That's what's happening in this transaction. And so what happens is Peter's going to give us four points that are just really clear for us to understand as we proclaim Jesus in verses 30 through 32. And the four points are really this, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the witness. That's, that's what's happening The idea of the crucifixion, that there was a man named Jesus who was crucified, who was killed on the cross, that he had done nothing wrong, that he had lived a perfect life, and yet he was crucified. The resurrection then shows that he is God. Death could not keep him. Death could not hold him. Sin did not have the power over him, and that he came back to life. He didn't stay dead. That's really important, and we'll get to that towards the back end of this sermon. And then the ascension, they then ascended up to sit at the right hand of God, the right hand of God, meaning that he has authority and power with God as well, that he is more than they believed him to be, that he is a king. And then the witness that we then go and communicate the truth of what happened, the greatest story that has ever happened. And what's really going on here is he's saying, the man that you tried to kill to silence God was raised back to life by God, the God of our fathers. You can't shut God up. You you can't push him aside. He has been exalted by God and has lifted his name above all other names. While they wanted to throw Jesus' name in the dirt to be trampled on by all other people, he says, no, no, no. God didn't do that. He lifted him high. And when you lift something high, all can see from all directions that he is the most important thing in the world, that he is the glory of God. He is the son of God and he is God. And now he reigns and rules with God at his right hand. But he does the same thing that he comes to forgive sins. And he wants his people to repent of their disobedience and return to trusting and worshiping him. And we're going to tell everybody what we've seen, what we have witnessed. We want the world to know this truth and worship our Savior Jesus as well. And he has given us the Spirit of God for those that obey him. Now, this is really kind of the last straw. Because what did the Pharisees think they were doing? Obeying God. And he's basically saying, and you don't have the spirit of God because you're not obeying God. And we have the spirit of God because we're obeying God. And this is just like the moment where you start flipping tables. You're like, are you kidding me? It says they were so set off. It uses the word enraged. And as I did my study this week, that word enraged is actually bizarre. It's a weird word. Like, well, it just means to be angry. Oh, no, it doesn't. The word at its core, at its root, means to be cut in half by a saw. I'm like, that is a very, that is a very odd way to say that you're upset. This idea that you are violently, emotionally affected by what was just said, that it's full of fury. Now, here's the idea. I tried to understand, like, why would that be the word? 
because what they believed and what they had put their trust and hope in had become so connected to every fiber of who they were, it was a personal violent attack upon them. And by saying this truth, they were ripping apart the very belief, the structure, how they live their life. Everything that they do is being torn to pieces, that that belief system had become a part of their body like an arm or a leg or a hand or a foot. And saying that this message, you were, you were ripping me to pieces and you were taking part of me away. That is what is being said in that section. Now, now hear me, whether they had the legal right or not, it does not matter, but they were ready to kill them because of this. They were going to murder them. Like this escalated really quick. But as God would have it, he was going to use someone to stop this from happening, at least for now. A man named Gamaliel. If you have studied your Bible, you may recognize that name. He is the teacher of a guy that we know as Saul, who would later become Paul, on the road to Damascus, who would be the most prolific writer in the New Testament we have. The most, the most letters, the most documentation we have would be from this man named Paul. This was his teacher. This is the guy that he studied under. And in that day and in that age, that's how they would learn. They would come on almost like a teaching apprentice, and they would learn underneath that individual until they deemed they were worthy to then go and teach as well. Now, he didn't respond and react the same way that all the other men did. But he calmly addressed them, and he would use history to show them how they should proceed. I mean, think about it. He is an older man. He's a well-respected man. He's a wise man. He's a man full of discernment. He has, um, he has gone through this for a long time. There is a there's just a demeanor about him that's very different than all the other responses that we see. And he tells them, before you kill these men, before you do what you think is right, before you think about doing that, let me just remind you of a couple of things. This is not the first time this has happened, guys. I've been around long enough to know that this is not the first event that we've seen that's sort of like this. And he brings up two men, Theodos and Judas the Galilean. Now, I'm not going to go into all the major details, but basically one guy claimed to be the Messiah, and a bunch of people followed him. The other guy was like, hey, let's not pay taxes. Apparently, that's a problem. Even in this day and age, that's a problem. People want you to pay your taxes. He's like, don't pay your taxes. And a bunch of people followed him. We're talking hundreds of people. So like this room holds roughly 250 people. So just kind of double this room out, and each, each group had about that many people. That's a lot of people. And he says, these guys died, and it kind of just fizzled out. It kind of just dissolved before us. Why? Because their leader was gone. Let me put it this way. Their leader was dead, and it's hard to follow a dead leader. It just becomes problematic because as new things arise, you can't go to the person and be like, can you keep leading us? Because, well, they're dead. You can't do that. So based on this, he says, if you try to kill these guys, there is going to be a large problem. Most likely, there is going to be an uprising. 
Most likely, there's going to be riots. Most likely, it's going to tear up the city, which then means the Roman guards will start coming in. And any freedom that we thought we had is now going to be taken away. They're going to tighten down their clamp, tighten down the grip on what we can and can't do. So you can do what you want to do, guys. But just understand that this is going to make our life extremely hard and difficult. And then what I, I love what he does. He puts it this way. Uh, we'll read verses 38 and 39 because I think it's important for us to see what he's saying. It says, so in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them go alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. The plans of man are short-lived all the time. The things that man wants come and go just like the wind. They don't have the staying power. They're not eternal. But then he gives this warning. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. He's saying like, if God is behind this, guys, you can never stop them. Like, we locked them up. An angel showed up and let them out. Like, you're not going to be able to stop these guys. We've already got one really clear example. And it wouldn't be the last, by the way. But then he says, but think about this. It's not just opposing them, but ultimately, if this is what God wants, you would then be opposing what God wants. And that is not a good scenario to be in. It reminds me of a guy that we talked about earlier in the sermon. Trying to overthrow God. How did that go for Lucifer? He convinced the third of the angels, come with me, let's fight God, let's be in charge, let's be important. It wasn't even a fight. He's like, no. To the empty black void of earth. That was it. That was the whole thing. He's too powerful. He's, he's almighty. There's no defeating God. And so Lucifer was thrown down. We see what happens when we oppose God. It doesn't end well for those that are trying to oppose him. So they take his advice and they don't kill the apostles. So they bring them in and they beat them. And then they tell them to stop preaching Jesus. I mean, they, they have lost all control. Any control they thought they had, it's gone. All authority, gone. They thought they had some. They have none at this point. So the only thing they can do is where it boils down. Like, well, if you won't listen to me, if you won't respect me, if you won't do what I say, I will inflict physical harm on you with the hopes that that will be enough to deter you from doing that. Now, the commentators agree when we, when we talk about beating and what they would have done, most likely it would have been lashes with a cat of nine tails. Actually, it's the same punishment that was given to Jesus before he was crucified. And if you're not familiar with medieval torture devices and what they're like, let me explain. A cat of nine tails is very simply a stick with a bunch of leather whips on the end of it. And at the end of those whips was tied either some kind of glass or clay or metal ball bearing or shards of metal on there that were sharp and dangerous dangerous, and they would whip you, and they would do it 39 times. And there's a whole story for why, but we're not going to get into that. And what they would do is they would rip your shirt off, and they would strap you to a pole, and they would whip your back. And after they did that for a while, they'd flip you over, and then they'd whip your chest and rip all of you up that way. And so you were literally to the point of almost dying. 
Your flesh was torn and ripped and bruised. You were bleeding. Many people would die from this. They would be barely able to walk out. Now, think about this also. We've got our apostles there. How many are there? Thank you. (laughs) Twelve is the correct answer. (laughs) They didn't have 12 guys whipping people. They had one. And so they would have to watch each apostle go through that. They would have to watch their brothers that they love and care about getting beaten to the point of almost death because they love and worship Jesus. How do you think you feel about being number 12 after watching that happen? Yet, none of them recanted, none of them them changed their mind because their response is amazing. They rejoiced that they would be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. They rejoiced. Doesn't mean they liked it, but they rejoiced in what the outcome was for what they were doing. To be dishonored for following Jesus was the highest honor they could possibly receive. That they were doing what was right, that they were being treated like the Savior that they worshiped for doing what God had called them to do. And from that day on, they preached and taught every day in the temple, in the homes, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, and all that place their faith in him would be saved. Now, there's a few things that we have to talk about from this event in history. And I use the words event in history because this is not a story time. This happened. This is real. The, the, the guys that had the uprisings, you can go to different documents and see that those were written about. They, it actually happened. The first thing is this. Nothing is going to stop the gospel from going forward. They tried a bunch of times just in this one story. They tried to stop him after threatening him. It didn't stop him. They tried to arrest him and put him in jail. They couldn't contain the gospel. They were freed by an angel. They faced powerful men, and the gospel was not stopped, and they proclaimed it. They got beaten, and they couldn't stop the gospel from going forward. Nothing that they could do, nothing these men could inflict on the apostles would stop the gospel from going forward. It is not going to stop. The gospel is the power of God. It's almost like it was a memory verse that we had not too long ago, right? Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then for the Gentile also. Like, this is, this is what we're talking about. Like, it, it can't be stopped. Nothing, no one, no thing is more powerful than God. God is taking the message forward. And when it comes to persecution, hear me on this, the worst they can do is kill us. But that won't stop it moving forward. Um, I found this from uh, a a quote this week. Uh, Tertullian said this when he was speaking to the Roman Empire about the persecution they were inflicting upon the Christians. This is what he said. Kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. That's powerful. 
What keeps the Christian faith moving forward is the blood of the Christians who don't reject the gospel. They're willing to lay down their lives for the truth that there is salvation and no one else than Jesus Christ. It's like, I'm reading this, I'm like, this sounds like Hydra. Cut off one head, two more grow back. That's exactly what they're saying in this section. It's crazy. Two, people don't follow dead people. You know why those other uprisings failed? Because their leader was dead. There was no one to lead them. Hey, guess what? Our Savior's not dead. Our leader is still alive. He is still God. The reason why the Christian faith can keep moving forward because our leader is leading. See, and he's not just said, oh, it's just going to be this one guy. He's given us the Holy Spirit, which resides in us, which leads us and guides us and causes us to submit and repent of sin, to follow him, to obey scripture, to know what truth is. See, we have a living leader. He's not dead. That's the good news. That's why it's so important that he was resurrected. Without this, this all falls apart. It rests on the shoulders of men, and it doesn't. It rests on God. Three, Gamaliel was right. How do I know that? How do I know he was right? Look to your left. Look to your right. Because we're here. See, we're talking about things that happened thousands of years ago, and yet we're here. It didn't die out. It didn't fizzle out. It didn't go away. It didn't lose steam. We stand here today because the gospel is true, because the gospel changes lives. It didn't stop. And according to him, it won't stop if God's behind it. So he was right. He actually said total truth. But the problem is this. He shouldn't have stopped there. He should have said, and hey, guess what? If this doesn't die out, we should really start exploring scripture. We should go to the scrolls. We should say, hey, where are these prophecies? Did Jesus fulfill these prophecies? Was it true? Was it real? Did he do it? He didn't say that. And maybe you're like, oh, this is disheartening. Like, how can these guys hear the truth multiple times and not be changed? Like, what? how come not? Well, I don't normally do this. I'm jumping ahead to the fall, to a verse that's in the fall when we're going to come back. Because I think it's so important for us to understand. If you don't understand that the gospel is this, this juggernaut, this power of God that does change and shape people, we're going to be thinking that it's something else. It says in Acts 6-7, it says this. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you see as they were the ones that were actually giving the sentence to have them beat, to have them shut up, is actually who God saved, that he saved a number of the priests that were there? This is crazy. He's transforming men and women. God is doing something. He is saving them. He is giving them truth. And they are understanding that Christ is the Messiah. And now they're being obedient. And now they're actually receiving the Holy Spirit. Now God resides in them as well. See, 
why it feels like we're in this losing battle. And by the way, part of the tactics is always to tell you bad news and all the things that aren't happening. That's the enemy's tactic. Like, I'm just going to tell you, like, here's how it's not working. Here's what's failing. God is winning. God is doing something so big. He's still moving. He's still leading us. Think about this. Why were so many godly men and women persecuted? Why did they lay down their life? Because the men that were around Jesus, that served him and worshiped and followed him, they were willing to lay down their own life. And we'll see as we go through Acts, the apostles were beaten and killed and tortured in really horrible ways. They had a firsthand look at this is what it looks like to follow Jesus with your entire life. And they set the tone and the precedent of what it looked like to be fully sold out to God no matter what. That the call to take this message forward was the most important thing. And while we can think at times that, you know, there's no way we can withstand how dark and evil the world is, that there's no way that we can overcome it. Matthew 16 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You always wonder, am I on the wrong side of history? If you're on God's side, you're not. You're on the right side of history if you're following and worshiping God. He wins. The book tells us the ending. If you're like, I like to know the ending of every story, here you go. Read Revelation. He wins. And it's not even a real battle. Everyone shows up and he's like, you lose. He's like, okay. Like, that's the battle. It's not even hard. The theologian John Stott said, persecution will refine the church, but not destroy it. So I believe what we see today is a refinement of the church right now, that we actually have to be bold to say truth, that the culture is pushing so hard against us that it doesn't want us to communicate what is true, what is real, what God's word says, and there will be persecution for proclaiming the truth of the gospel. But that does not stop the church. It does not stop the message. Friends, don't lose hope. Don't be discouraged. Don't forget the message. Don't shrink back from what we've been called to do, empowered by God to do what we can't do in our own power. This week, I would ask you, ask yourself, where do I shrink back? Where do I shrink back with the gospel of Jesus. How can the church encourage me? How can I be encouraged by what these men and women went through, through horrible opposition? How can I boldly proclaim the word of God to the world? Because you gotta remember, the gospel is an unstoppable force. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just, I get amped when I hear these this truth, this, this history, the, the reality of who you are and what you've done and what's going on. And I just get excited to know like we can, we can believe the lies of the enemy. The enemy is a liar and he's always going to lie about what's really happening. But God, you tell the truth. You are the light. You are the hope that we have. I ask that we would be encouraged, that we would see that you are doing something. You are moving, that it's not over. And there have been many godly men and women in the past that have thought the same thing, yet you have shown up every single time and you continue before because you are behind it. Lord, we love you. 
We're grateful for this hope, this truth that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I ask that if there are men and women who do not know you, that today would be the day that they say the truth of the gospel, that it doesn't die because we worship a risen, living Savior who is our leader, Jesus Christ. Love you. Pray these things in your glorious name. Amen.